This is the Living Clean Podcast. This podcast is not meant to replace meetings, sponsorship, step work, or service. This podcast is meant to be another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. All right, welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm Mason S. I'm an addict. I got a very special guest with me today. Uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself now. Hey, I'm Sean G. I'm an addict. Oh, my clean date is March the 3rd of 2000. And Mason, thank you so much for asking me to be on this podcast with you today. Man, it's a pleasure. I've, I've had you in mind for a while and finally, uh, finally made it happen. So, uh, you want to give your, give your home group a shout out. Yeah. My home group, uh, is if you want what we have group of narcotics anonymous in Corinth, Mississippi, and, uh, we'll get around to that. There's a little story behind that as well. So, all right. Well, right before we got on, we were, um, we were talking about, uh, history and Sean was sharing with me what, um, what kind of sparked his passion for the history. So we're going to just continue with that discussion. And cause I'm a, I, I love the history of this fellowship too. So we'll just continue where we left off. Okay. Well, what I was sharing uh, prior to the podcast was what sparked my interest. I got clean on March the 3rd of 2000 and I was invited by some, older members in the program to go to VRC and it was in Knoxville that year. Well, the Mississippi regional convention was in October and I had met a guy at that convention that also showed up at VRC. Well, when we were at VRC, he was telling me that he was meeting a lady from Florida that was bringing a first edition basic text, the red edition, the gift edition. Also, she was bringing a first edition blue and that she was bringing them up for him to purchase. And after he purchased them, he showed me those two books and they were in pristine condition. But what captivated me, and I got to be honest here, was the value. This man paid $3,500 for both books. Uh, Now, this was in 2000. Okay. Those books have highly escalated in value since then. So being honest, the money value, I thought, my God, those books are worth that kind of money. So I started checking every time I would go to a Salvation Army or a Goodwill store or I was my first, and still to this date, my first beeline in a Goodwill store is to the book section. And, uh, so, but, but that, and then I started getting involved with the history of where the red, you know, it works came from and, and how, how we got it in print and, and all that type of stuff. So, so yeah, that's what got me involved in wanting to want to know more about us and where we came from. Yeah, we were yeah. getting, uh, we were sharing some of our stuff. Sean showed me some of his, uh, his first editions and I was showing him some of my just for today's and first edition it works how and why, um, but yeah, uh, I've always been intrigued by, especially, especially since I learned the history of kind of what all went into that and just the price that was paid and, mm-hmm. you know, how much that literature kind of played the role in separating ourselves, you know, we, that, that kind of allowed us to be our own fellowship and not just the, you know, the little brother of of AA anymore. We got to be our own fellowship and stand on our own feet. And, you know, we developed our own program and all that. And the literature played such a huge role in that. And just, you know, all that went into it, man, it just, it's special. Yeah, it it really is. uh, And being able to know some of the people that are still around that were involved in that, you know, it's, uh, yeah, thank thank God for those predecessors, huh? No doubt, no doubt. Um, Matter of fact, the name of my home group uh, sounds like a good time to talk about this. We're in the history. As uh, in the fifth edition, 
the there's a story on page 133 in the basic text and that's the title of the story if you want what we have well if you follow that up you know you do what we do right oh uh, but that story was uh story of bill brooks and who was real instrumental in in north alabama and matter of fact it's my understanding he started the first meeting in decatur alabama many many years ago and he was actually my grand sponsor for just about a fraction of a second and bill passed away from brain cancer and uh died clean when i forget i'd hate to cut him short but i'm thinking he had like 37 38 years clean in narcotics anonymous sean was it around 2000 when he died he may have died in 2000 i, I think maybe he did at uh but yeah, that's uh, that was that's a lot of clean time now. But in two thousand, that was a significant amount of clean time. Oh yeah, yeah. I got to participate and be at a couple of his clean time birthdays, and and uh, he was just an amazing man who loved recovery and loved loved addicts. Yeah. Oh, uh, I was on a page the other day and got the. I noticed that they were somebody had posted a picture of that story on this uh, Facebook page and everybody was trying to figure out uh, who wrote that. And ah. yeah. So when I seen it instantly, you know, Bill Brooks is special to this area. And even though he was gone long before I got here, you know what he did and how he influenced this area still carries on to this day. He's been passed down to a bunch of us, you know, so. Oh, and, and everywhere Mason, yeah. I, when I worked in the towboat industry, I we were in for overhaul in the St. Louis area. Yeah. And I would go to meetings up there. Well, I'd pull a 12-hour day watch, as they called it. And then at 6 o'clock, I, I, I could leave the boat and, and go to town and whatever. So I met people in the fellowship. And I walked into a meeting one night, and there was a young lady and a young gentleman there. And they didn't know me, and I didn't know them. But the young lady... Come find out she had six months clean and it was a book study night. And she was asking the older members, she said, uh, look, I know this is our book study night. And I was reading this personal story in the back. Can, uh, can we, can we do a book study on the personal stories? And the guy was like, well, yeah, I don't see why not. And I'm thinking, well, it's in the book. And it was Bill's story that she, that she presented wow. for the book wow. study that night. And it was just so awesome be that far away from home and and then read that story and me get to share a little bit of experience strength and hope about about bill you know yeah. so that was just so you know that it, we stretch far and wide baby <laughs> yeah and you can correct me on this if i'm wrong but it's my understanding that you know back when i think it's om and m right open minds and miracles is the meeting uh that he may have started the first one in alabama yes. Yeah. Uh, but it was my understanding that they would travel, you know, uh, three or four hours to get from meeting to meeting, you know, from all the way from Marietta, Georgia to Chattanooga and yeah, in different places like, you know, and we're so spoiled now. <laughs> we oh, don't God. even realize how spoiled we are. You know, just here in my little small town out in the middle of nowhere, we can go to a meeting every night of the week here in town, but that wasn't always the case. Like it was... <laughs> It was load up five or six in a car and take a good drive, you know, six, seven oh, hours yeah. both ways. I mean, you know, uh, there and back would take you yeah. six or seven hours. Yeah, it's 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 amazing the links that they went to to get us. And I share that sometimes in, in, in meetings because people don't know. Yeah, People don't know how we get to meet so freely as addicts and and the struggles that our predecessors went through to make this happen for us yeah you know uh, you can go way back in history to the old rabbit meetings you know it's uh you know where they where they had a box with a coffee pot and coffee cups and literature and we'd decide tonight if we had a meeting at my house okay where we're going to meet next week right. because we had to kind of hide you know it's, well uh, it, in some places it was illegal it was illegal yeah. for us to meet oh yeah the, the old rockefeller law you know, yeah. that uh, two addicts were seen together on the street. They went to jail. That's wow. crazy. 
<laughs> Again, thank God for our predecessors that put up the fight, man. No doubt. Well, let's uh let's transition here a little bit. Let's talk about um let's talk about you for a minute. Let the listeners get to know you for a little bit. Um I guess if you want to kind of touch on what life was like before NA and kind of how you wound up in this fellowship and then we'll go from there. What what life? <laughs> exactly. What what life before NA? Uh, no, uh, Mason, my story's not any different than than most addicts. Oh, you know, I started using real young. I was I was an IB user at the age of thirteen. I, I uh, you know, I, I did a lot of dope, went in a lot of places, and did a lot of stuff that addicts do. Oh, uh, tried this thing called recovery numerous times, and and it just wasn't gonna work for me. You know, it would work for guys like you, but y'all didn't use like I did. Y- you know the deal. Yeah. The 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 differences instead of the similarities and, and, uh, so, you know, thank God after, and you know, my, my mind would tell me all the stuff that it tells us that if you'll just use this substance, you'll be okay. And if you're not doing that, you, you'll be all right. And oh, that one's legal. And you know, all that stuff that the disease lies to us about. And I believed it. Oh, uh, so thank God for the gift of desperation, man. And that, that's truly how I wound up here this time. And, you know, I, I woke up dope sick like I did every morning. And this particular morning, I did, I did something different, man. You can call it a moment of clarity. You can call it a spiritual awakening. Uh, instead of doing what I'd always done, I got in the yellow pages, uh, back when they still had phone books (laughs) and I found an addiction and abuse hotline and I called the number and reached out for help. And it's the most amazing thing. A guy was working the, uh, narcotics anonymous hotline. I I got a hold of a lady first and told her my situation. She said, I'm going to have to have somebody call you back. And I don't know how long it seemed like forever, but probably five or 10 minutes the phone rang and it was this guy named Andre. And Andre was working the NA hotline out of Vicksburg, Mississippi uh, at that particular time. And he called me back. And this guy, I'm going to get teared up, Mason. This guy talked to me, man, like I was somebody. And he asked me questions about what substance I was using, how much of it I was using. Uh, And he asked me, he said, man, you're going to have to do some dope. He said, we're going to find you a bed somewhere. He said, but in the meantime, he said, are you willing to do just enough to get the sick off? And, you know, that was, God showed up doing for me what I didn't have enough sense to do for myself. And it just came out of my mouth. Yes. And for the next three days, uh, I did that. I, I, I would go get the drug that I needed to keep me out of withdrawals. And I would wait until the pain was so great that I absolutely had to do a shot. And then I would just do enough to get the sick off. And, and that wasn't me. Trust me. (laughs) That was not the way I did though. Oh, but on the third day, and you know, it talks about that in that story too. And Bill Brooks's story about shaving the old timers called it shaving. And uh, they would shave just enough to get the sick off. Of course, I didn't know that at the time. Uh, but on day three, they called me and uh, had me a bed in, in a treatment center. And they said, when can you be here? I said, hell, it was in Memphis, Delta Medical Center. And I said, I'm on my way. And uh, there again, that was God doing for me. Because uh, I had about $500 in my pocket that day. And uh, I did what... I used all the way to the rehab. Oh, uh, you know, I don't normally talk about particular substances, but I, I did a couple of shots of my drug of choice at that time. If you, I really never understood what that was. Oh, uh, and I ate some more pills on the way over there. And I finished the last of a 12 pack of that liquid dope sitting in the parking lot at the treatment center. 
And that's when my life started to change. And I had no idea, had no idea. And I could tell you that I went to treatment to turn my life around and to be sitting here almost 24 years later doing a podcast with you. But I didn't. I went to treatment for one reason and one reason only. I wanted the damn pain to stop. And I wanted the voices to shut up inside my head. And something happened on the course of that treatment center that changed my life. I found a desire that you guys talked about that I didn't know existed. uh, And, you know, I found a willingness to do what y'all told me I needed to do when I popped back into the rooms. Because I'd been around the rooms before. I'd played with this thing and and thought I had a desire. But uh, it was just something was just different this time. So so that's kind of a little brief history of what I was like and what happened to me and and God, my life is so unimaginable now. And, you know, I used to hear people say, and I still hear it, if you made me make a list of what I expected out of the Narcotics Anonymous program, man, I would have sold myself. So sure. You know, we did a, I, I got to chair my home group meeting last night and I, I did the meeting on the fifth tradition. And, uh, you know, all that stuff has happened in my life. I've lost that desire. You know, I, I, I found that new way to live by hanging out with you guys and letting y'all show me. And uh, so anyway, life is amazing today. And, uh, you, you're looking at an old junkie that when he came into the rooms, he couldn't borrow the money to eat off the dollar menu at McDonald's. And, uh, you know, I I got stuff today. I know that it's just stuff, but I got stuff. I own a home. I got you know, I got a Harley sitting in the carport that's, that's, that's mine. And, you know, that stuff doesn't make or break me. I know that because I've had all that stuff before and lost it. But the main thing I've got today is something spiritual going on inside of me that fills that empty hole on a daily basis. And I have to keep working for that. So anyway. Yeah. I like how you, um, I like how you described, you know, you wanted the pain to stop and you wanted the voices to stop. Uh, do you remember a particular time to where, you know, some people talk about, I woke up one day and just noticed that it hadn't been there or, you know, I had that, that desire to use had went away. Do you remember that, what that process was like? Or I do. Yeah. And it, it was actually, I don't, but I, I remember I couldn't tell you exactly when it happened, but I can tell you exactly when I realized it happened. Yeah. I was reading literature again, and I was reading chapter five. What what can I do? And it was right there in black and white. And I was almost a year and a half clean, Mason, when I realized that the miracle had happened in my life that I, I'd stopped using and started to live. And uh, I broke down and started crying, man. When I read that, I'm like, and no telling how many times I had read that before. Oh, it, it just jumped off the page at me that day. It's like, wow, that happened. It snuck up on me and I didn't even realize it because my life had got full. And I was I was doing service work and I was, I had a job and I was busy and, you know, and, and all that stuff. And and when I read that, it's like, man, I ain't even thought about using in a while. So as far as when it happened, I, I really don't know. But when I realized that it happened, it was like a spiritual awakening. Well, I, I'm glad you said that because that's my, um, that's kind of my experience with what a spiritual awakening was. I didn't, I can't say that I had a burning bush moment, but one day it was kind of stopping and looking back and going, my God, my life has changed drastically, you know? And that's, that's kind of what my spiritual awakening was is, is just realizing, like you said, I've started to live like this is what living is. And, you know, I I don't remember a particular moment where I was like, you know, even when I worked the uh, 12th step with my sponsor, uh, you know, I, I kind of anticipated this burning bush moment and it wasn't exactly that, but 
you know, some time after that, it was just reflecting back and going, my God, life is so good today. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. It, um, I thought, do you and I have the same sponsor? Tim? Yeah. Yeah, we sure okay. do. We sure do. Now, uh, when I had, I had a sponsor previous to that, uh, who I went through the steps with the first time, you know, and you know, that kind of leads me into something else I want to talk to you about. Uh, because it's people around here that know you and know your wife. Uh, y'all have been, uh, y'all have been kind of considered the, uh, I, I wouldn't say a power couple, but a couple that has sustained some, you know, a, a relationship in recovery, which we've got plenty of examples of how sometimes that don't go as well, <laughs> but you know, that's realistically why I made a sponsorship change, right? Um, because when I got in to a relationship, I wanted to sustain it and I needed somebody to, who had had some success doing that to teach me that, you know, and my, right previous sponsor bless his soul he was great at a bunch of things but that was not one of them that's not <laughs> that was not his expertise so it's nothing right. that he did wrong you know i just i needed something i felt like i needed something more but sure. i guess that leads me into my my question is is um you know what is what's been some of the ups and downs with with trying to sustain uh you know a relationship with another addict like i know um, it doesn't always have the outcome that you've had. Uh, no, and uh, it's, uh, sometimes it can be a, a real struggle. Yeah. Now we've been together a long time now, so we've been blessed to work through that, but the communication, golly, that's the most key thing to any relationship, really, in my opinion. Oh, uh, you know, we've been through the jealousy issues and, uh, oh, uh, you know, all that stuff. Well, I saw you looking at her in the meeting and, you know, and, and vice versa, you know, yeah. and, uh, just being able to work through that and walk through that stuff together and communicate and, and, uh, and learn, learn that trust, uh, learn that trust and, and through, through our own trials and struggles and, uh, you know, we have an awesome relationship today. And it didn't just, it didn't just start that way. I'll be, you know, right. So we had to put a lot of work in just like we do into our recovery. Um, uh, we, uh, today we, I mean, we have earned a relationship that the number one main thing, we don't have to entertain each other. You know, she, when we're home on the weekends or whatever, I do my thing. She does her thing. And, you know, she'll sit over there and you've seen some of the stuff that you probably have some of the stuff that she makes and crochets and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and she'll sit over there and she'll do that. And I'll be out in the yard doing my own thing. Or if I want to go with the guys to do some asphalt recovery, you know, go, there's none of that. Well, you just went last week. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We, yeah. We've earned each other's trust and we're, we're content and we're okay with ourselves, you know? So, and that kind of allows us to be okay with each other and what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Now, as far as, cause I've heard some people say, you know, the only way that I make this work is we keep our recovery totally separate. Do you find that you can have recovery related conversations with her or? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. The main thing I have to, oh, we, we don't. <laughs> We don't sponsor each other, okay? Huh. And and that that's real important when you're in a recovery relationship is learning to allow that other individual their own recovery and not try and fix it for them, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. Uh, you know, if things are going and I can, you know, I can kind of spot when she's got something going on, I may ask in a kind and loving way, have you talked to your sponsor lately? And then I leave it at that. Because outside of that, it's really none of my business unless it starts affecting me. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. Uh, you keep it separate up until a point to where it, it becomes uh, detrimental to you and 
your sanity i guess that's that yeah. guess that's the boundary um because you know i I've, I've had these conversations with people on here before but I, um that's the first time that i think i've had somebody bring it up that there is a point to where i will have to say something if it just if it you know if it continues to get worse but i think that's you know and that's not necessarily out of control that's out of love you sure. know yeah not only love for you know your spouse but love for you you know we care enough about ourselves today to you know to to look out for ourselves too that's exactly right that's yeah. uh and in that process too before it gets to that point you can bet i'm talking to my sponsor about what's going on too <laughs> another good idea yeah <laughs> yeah um well yeah yeah that's uh and i'm sure y'all run into because you know your area is not particularly big but um i'm sure you run into things where you sponsor a guy and she sponsors a girl and they've tried to hook up and all that you've had to deal with that stuff before <laughs> that's always got to be fun I got a good one for you. Yeah. Uh, as as you and most people know, my wife has been married multiple times. Yeah. Uh, she shares that openly that I'm lucky number seven. She she forgets that she's the lucky one that I was number seven. Right. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, at one time I sponsored her ex husband, one of her ex husbands, and she sponsored his wife. So. <laughs> That's crazy. That is yeah. crazy. But you know, keeping it about recovery, it ain't about all that other stuff. It's about right. how we can help each other in the sponsor sponsee relationship. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I've, you know, there's been, um, it always, I like, I always wanted the people that I was closest to in active addiction to get clean. <laughs> but it seems like the ones that I couldn't stand the most are the ones that find their way into the rooms first. And, you know, being able to, being able to look past all that stuff. Cause at the end of the day, what happened back then to me really don't matter. It's just, you know, I've become really good friends with some people I could not tolerate, uh, on the street. Right. Uh, but you know, so that's been pretty neat. It, it reminds me of that old story they used to tell, uh, don't talk down to the guy that you're, uh, that's asking you for crumbs when you're the dope man, because he may be selling it to you tomorrow. That's right. <laughs> and then in here That's we right. talk about don't be talking down to somebody. That may be your sponsor someday. Even though he's got 30 days clean, you may be sponsoring your ass before it's all said and done. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I was trying to think of the uh what's that old saying that's similar to that? Be, be careful the toes you step on on your way up because they may be attached to the ass you have to kiss at the end. <laughs> yeah, so. no, <laughs> that's it. That's a, those are stories of humility. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So let's, uh, let's transition over into our topic today, which is, this is kind of a rare IP. Uh, and you know, it's, it's one that like we had a conversation and you were talking about, I don't think we got that one in my home group. And I went to our home group and noticed we didn't have it either. You know, so when I, I eventually just had to look it up online, but when I did, man, this thing, this, you talk about a, a and, and I'm looking at copyrighted in 1983 for the first time. So you're talking about a time when the basic text was just being uh, distributed, you know, it was right. just coming out, and um, this is such a clear, precise NA message uh, in this in this IP. I thought that was I thought that was incredible. Uh, did you get a chance to look it over? I did. I did the same thing actually. The day that you had called me, I had just left a meeting, uh, a different type of meeting, not a recovery meeting in Tupelo, and I left there and I went to a noon meeting. And I checked their IP rack, and they didn't have it. And when I got back to Corinth, I went to the treatment center here because I knew PI uh, kept them a literature rack. And I went out there, not for that sole reason, but while I was there, I looked in their IP rack, and they didn't have it. 
And I knew we didn't have it, so I did exactly what you did. I looked it up on Niles, and I printed out a digital copy of it where I could read it. And while I was in there, guess what? I ordered copies for my home group for the rack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, because that's... It, is a, it is a good IP, man. It's uh, Oh. Yeah, I've read it, and I highlighted some things. And when you told me the topic, I'm like, well, I got to get this and read it. And then after reading it a few times and highlighting a couple of things, I thought, well, shoot, I'm that one addict. He's just wanting my experience with those things. Exactly. That's it. So, <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um, so I'll, uh, if you want to, I'll just kind of turn it over to you for a minute and then you just tell us what you got out of it and you can give us your experience with acceptance, faith, okay. and commitment. Yeah. Like, you know, that this thing was so me too. Once I, once I printed it out and got to reading it, it's, uh, cause you know, for me, Mason, I had known that I was an addict for a long time. I knew, and actually I used that as, well, I, I can't help it, you know? I, I used that with ex-wives. Well, you know, the, the doctor at that last rehab told you that it's a disease, and I would actually use that to, you know, on my behalf uh, to get more drugs and, and to excuse my behaviors. Poor pitiful me, I'm an addict. Okay. Oh, uh, and, but the acceptance level this time, and I, I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't so much the fact of accepting that I was an addict because I had known that for a long time. It was accepting all that other stuff that I needed help with. It was accepting the fact that my life was totally unmanageable even though my disease lied to me and told me, well, if you'll just use this substance, you can do that and your life will be better. Um, all, all the stuff that, you know, I did not know how to live. I, even though I had all the, you know, I had children and I had wives and I had the house and the checkbook and the, all that stuff that the literature talks about. I had that empty hole on the inside of me and I just went through the motions until until I fully accepted that I needed people in my life to guide me with my life, that it wasn't just about the substance that I was putting in that was making my life unmanageable. It was, because I just tell you, I had a couple of years one time of complete abstinence. Nothing came in my house stronger than, oh, I had some Paragard a time or two to rub on my baby's gums when they were teething. And uh, outside of that, I did not use any substance. Um, and my life got better. My life got better. I, I, I bought two homes in the process of that. I, I started two businesses. I had all the stuff we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And I had the 1955 Stepside Chevy I was restoring. I had the Jeep Grand Cherokee. I had the bass boat, the four-wheelers, all that stuff. And guess what? I was one miserable SOB that couldn't stand living inside my own skin. And I did not know why. It's because I, and look, it took me a year of that complete abstinence to even learn how to laugh and joke again. That was gone from my life. Um, and then eventually, guess what? I picked up and used again. And all that stuff Guess what? It disappeared. Oh, mm. uh, so I had experience in doing that. But you know the funny thing about all that through that period of abstinence and no program, no twelve step, no nothing. I did the church thing a few times, but it wasn't real crazy about that either. Um, my life got a lot better. Oh, uh, and I realized that I, after coming into the program this time. I was doing a lot of what the program suggested back then because I had changed those people, places, and things. I moved off out in the country. I quit going to the dope houses. I quit going to the bars, and I quit hanging out with those people, <laughs> you know? And uh, just those few things made my life better, but I still didn't have a program to work with the stuff that was really going on on the inside. You know? 
Yeah, that's uh I think that's that's something that it took me a long time uh to register was you know, I went through a point at about six months clean, uh you know, where I copped a little resentment and uh I I damn near used over it. You know, mm-hmm. thank God my sponsor at the time called me after two weeks. And then long story short, because I've said it on here a bunch of times, but he um, he told me, well, after I unloaded everything on him, finally, after he pried enough, I told him what was ever, what was going on. And uh, he finally told me, he said, you don't quit acting like you were acting when you were using pretty mm-hmm. soon. You're going to have to use to justify how you're acting. And I think that's when it registered with me that um, it is about a lifestyle change that it's more than just abstinence and that my actions and my unwillingness to be able to, to learn these coping skills, to be able to deal with life would take me back out, you know, faster than the desire to use would. Oh yeah. You know, that I would drive that my own actions would make life so intolerable that the pain would be so great that I'd be forced to, you know, take the easy way out like I always had. Oh yeah, uh, he know. was right. <laughs> yeah, he was right. Yeah. Oh, the behaviors. You know, the behaviors. And I, I share from time to time that metaphorically speaking, when I came into Narcotics Anonymous, I left the dope outside the door. Okay, I came in with all those character defects. I was still a liar. I was still a thief. I was still a cheat. All that stuff, I just wasn't putting the dope in when I got here, okay? So I had to, and it talks about it in this IP, I had to allow y'all to start helping me recognize and change those behaviors. Because like your first sponsor had told you, those behaviors, that's that's what's going to lead me back to the dope. Yeah, it's It's the... You know, it's the lying and the cheating. So I, I eventually, I, you know, Narcotics Anonymous took me under their wing and I became willing to let them show me some stuff. And I'll just tell you, when it gets to the faith part of this uh, IP, our sponsor played a big role in that. Oh, uh, I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, Timmy and I were in treatment together. In 1997, okay? His brother was also in treatment with us. That's where I met him. Yeah. Oh. Uh, he stayed in treatment. I, I found the need to go chase women and drink and use. And I left the treatment center and somebody ratted me out. One of the neighbors called, saw me leave the treatment facility. And uh, they came and took me out in handcuffs and sent me back to prison the next morning. Okay. Uh, Timmy stayed and decided to do the next right thing. And guess what? When I finally made it back three years later and I walked into that old smoky upstairs meeting hall in Corinth, uh, old place used to have couches and love seats and, and you know chairs obviously and i'll never forget when i walked in that meeting for the first time out of treatment timmy was sitting on the couch in that meeting hall and he looked up at me and he said we've been saving you a seat buddy (laughs) and when he did (laughs) to see that he had been clean for three years and was still there that started giving me a little spark of faith that, hell, I might can do this. I might can do this. That, uh, so, yeah, that's where the spark of faith really started for me. Uh, and then as I did meetings, I saw people, because, you know, we had talked about this earlier before the podcast, I think, about uh, thinking that this would work for you, but it wouldn't work for me because my disease would say you didn't use like I did. Well, guess what? I started seeing some people that I used with and I knew they used just like I did. And they had smiles on their faces and a glisten in their eye and they had jewelry and, you know, hell, we could never keep jewelry. 
And I went to the dope man, right? Oh, and there that faith kind of turned into hope. Oh, so, you know, it's amazing how looking back on that cycle of how, how the acceptance turned into faith. And then, you know, then I decided to make a commitment for my recovery. This, I didn't think I could ever do this. And like I said, Timmy, number one, when he was sitting there, uh, we used to call him Yogi. He going to kill me. Uh, <laughs> um, sitting there with a big old smile on his face, kicked back in the corner of that love seat, saying, we've been saving you a seat, been waiting on you, man. That, uh, that kind of gave me some faith that I might could do this thing too. You know what I love about him is uh, he has a unique ability to be able to make a person feel like they're the most important person in the room. And, uh, you know, that's what I, well, the first time I met him, you know, uh, I met him at, he was at a meeting at survival group and he come up and started talking to me and hugged me and, and, and act like he'd known me for 20 years, you know, and yeah. I just never will forget how special that made me feel. And, you know, that's how I want to make other people feel. And I, I can't say I'm there yet. I'm working on it, but. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that, you know, kind of attracted me towards Timmy too was, you know, and it's not what he says. It's just what he does. You know, he's a, he's an action based sponsor, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, but your story lines up perfect with what's in this IP, you know, that said they told me that I could lose the desire to use by living in a program. I had no choice, but to believe them. I had tried doctors, psychiatrists, hospitals, men, mental institutions, job changes, marriages, divorces, all had failed. I seemed hopeless, but in NA, I saw hope. I met addicts recovering from their disease. And I came to believe I could learn how to live without drugs in NA. I found the faith I needed to begin to change. Mm -hmm. And I used to hear this guy all the time in our meetings, he'd say, um, you know, faith kind of starts with hope. And he said, all faith is, is hope with a track record. And he said, <laughs> he said, if you can, uh, if you come here long enough, you know, and that's why we emphasize, keep coming back. Uh, you're going to find a hope shot. And if oh, you yeah. stay here long enough, the track record, <laughs> you know, going to develop itself. And, you know, that's where faith comes from. You know, these people were talking about how their lives was. You stay around long enough to see that they're not full of shit. Like I thought they were when I first got there. <laughs> uh, it becomes apparent when you spend time with them and you hang out with them that shit, they are getting better and life is getting better for them. And they are like me too, still, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, that's just, yeah, that it all starts with, it's all started with hope for me. And then. You know, to me, that's what the second step's all about. Yeah. You know, finding a way to believe that what works for these people will work for me. Uh, yeah. That's, you know, and what's amazing is, uh, I mean, for me, when I came into the rooms and I started seeing people that I knew used like I used, and I thought, hell, if they can get clean, anybody can, you know? And then staying clean and and working on this commitment to the spiritual principles of the program and then that comes back around i'll never forget the first time i heard somebody say they'd, they'd come into the rooms and of course i'm old oh uh, i knew this kid i knew his family i remember when he was born okay and he was like in his mid-20s late 20s started showing up in the rooms and I found out who he was and I said, Oh yeah, I'm not. Well, he came to a meeting one evening and he said, you know what? He said, this gave me a little hope. He said, mom and daddy said that if Sean Gurley could get clean, <laughs> anybody could do it. Yeah. And that, that kind of tickled me and it made me feel good at the same time. And you know, that that had come back around that me seeing people and thinking the same thing. And then, somebody who truly knew me in active addiction, seeing the difference in my life change through the spiritual principles of this program. That was, that was amazing. 
Yeah, I was blessed uh, enough to have a family that was already here, so there was kind of a hope shot there because I knew if them crazy motherfuckers could clean anybody good. Yeah, exactly. You know, it went from when I was a kid, everybody told me, do not be like your family when you grow up to when I started using, they was like, you need to be more like your family and get involved in recovery. Right? <laughs> I get it, man. I do. Yeah. I get. I guess the last thing I kind of want to touch on is um, you touched on a little bit, but this commitment, right? Like, cause you're, well, it's, it's February. Are, are you working? You're working on 24, correct? Yeah. If I can stay clean till a couple more weeks, actually March the 3rd, March the 3rd, it'll be 24 years. Yeah. So I, I guess, you know, it's obvious that you've been committed for a while, but I guess what I want to touch on is, were there times to where you had to, uh, throughout those 24 years where you had to kind of recommit yourself where you felt like you got distance from the program or, you know, like it talks about, you started having an attitude of indifference or intolerance or anything like that. Is there, has there been times like that? Uh, there have been. And. You know, somehow or another, Mason, I just found that commitment level was so strong that I just pushed through it. I kept yeah. doing meetings. And I, the, regardless of the, you know, as our literature talks about the indifference and intolerance and things of that nature, um, regardless of the things that was going on at my home group that I didn't agree with, regardless of uh, a lot of things, Oh, I was blessed just to be able to persevere and, and push through it and keep doing my meetings. And now, you know, my wife, on the other hand, she went through a spell where she just quit going. And because of personalities and different things, and thank God she made it through to the other side. Oh, uh, you know, once I got, once I'd been clean for about a year and a half, I guess somewhere in there, I got a job on the towboats. So I was uh, 28 days on the river and 28 days at home. So that, uh, that was uh, my first experience with, because I was blessed to do over 500 meetings my first year. Okay, I did meetings, meetings, meetings. And then I take a job that I can't do a meeting for 30 days, pretty much. So that was when I got a cell phone <laughs> so I could call my sponsor and I could call people in recovery. But on my 28 days off, I immersed myself in meetings. I would, you know, I was, I'd do noon meetings, nighttime meetings, a lot of asphalt recovery. And, you know, and I, I learned some stuff then through the asphalt recovery because, you know, if there's something going on at my home group that's making me, disgruntled or most of the time I'm looking at the problem, but getting out and they used to be, and this is awful. There used to be a particular group in, in our area that, uh, that people would say, if you think your home group's bad, go visit such and such group. Okay. <laughs> and it was true. So just through the process of doing asphalt recovery, it, it helped me have a new perspective on my home group and maybe some of the stuff that's going on there and learning, learning principles to practice to help fix whatever the issue is. You know, learning, learning what I need to do and what my part can be in it to make it better. Yeah. Because, you know, as it talks about in literature, groups groups take on many personalities. And uh, so we have to be careful of that. We have to be careful of that. You know, somebody made the comment the other day, uh, of course, they were joking. Uh, what was, oh, we were in an area meeting, and we were talking about doing different stuff and different meetings and things like that. And, and uh JW made the comment about, well, you know, if I go to 
if you want what Sean's got group. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, and of course he was laughing and joking, but, uh, you know, that's not my group. And I have to, you know, I don't want that persona just because I was one of the founding members that started that group. I mean, there was like eight of us that, that decided that this area was big enough. This town was big enough for two groups. It wasn't, it wasn't me. Oh, uh, but people will think, well, you're the old timer and that's, you know, I hate it when people say, well, I'm coming to your group. Well, that's not my group. That's our group. That's your group. When you show up, uh, <laughs> you know? So anyway, I don't know where that came from, but yeah, there's been times I've had to recommit to my recovery, but knock on wood, thank God I have as to date, not yet. Oh, uh, just quit going and, you know, threw my hands up and say, F this, I ain't doing this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're doing something very similar here in, uh, Hohenwald. You know, we're just now starting a new group here in town. And, uh, I have, you know, newcomers group is my home. That's where, right. but I have, um, joined this other home group to try to help it get started to where I want to do something different too, because ever since I've been clean, every major decision that newcomers has been a part of, I've been right up in the middle of it. You know? <laughs> and, uh, this time, you know, I kind of just want to take an opportunity to watch a group grow. That's not got my influence on it. I just want to be there only as a, as some guidance in case they, you know, um, get off into some crazy pitfall or something, you know, right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, we're getting to the point now to where we're, you know, I think our, just our town could use, I use the Coke and Pepsi reference, you know, some people, you know, even though a majority of us love newcomers and love everything about it, I think we're big enough now to where we can open a new door so that, you know, the people, that other 10% can find a place where they can feel at home too. Sure. You know, so that's what we it's got nice. going up here. It's nice, Mason, to just walk in and sit down in a group and just be an addict. Yeah. Just be a just be a member of. You know, that uh and a lot of times a lot of times in my home group I don't get that. Mm -hmm. A lot of times in, in groups in this area, it's like and, and as should be, I guess, but it's like when you, when you get multiple years in recovery, people look at you like, you know, I'll go to meeting and, and just want to sit and listen and not really feel like I've got anything to share tonight. My, my mission is just to learn something mm -hmm. and there'll be a second moment of silence or whatever. And then people start looking at you like, well, aren't you going to share? You need to share. You need <laughs> well, I don't always feel like I need to share. Hmm. So if that makes any sense, I, you oh. know, a lot of times I like to just go and be and soak it up, you know, hell, we, we've got to get fed too. When there was uh when I first got clean, there was this guy around here. He had 40 plus years in recovery. And we used to always go to him like he was this um, spiritual God, you know. And um, he right. got on to us one day. He said, now look. He said, the worst thing you can do for me is put me on a pedestal. He said, you're robbing me of my recovery when you do that. He said, and if you don't think I'm just as fucked up as you are, just keep coming around for a little bit. You'll you'll come to find out. He said, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He, he was right. And that's a, that's a great way to put it. I, I, I like that. Yeah. Cause you know, I will definitely fall off your pedestal. No doubt. But, uh, so, and that's, you know, that that's pressure on an old member. Yeah. Yeah. People think you're, I mean, yeah, I've been able to put some, some years together, but that don't always mean that my recovery is top notch, yeah. <laughs> you know? Hey, that, 
that sick and suffering addict we take a moment of silence for can sometimes be that guy that's been there the longest or the girl that's exactly or exactly right yeah that's exactly right you know i'm i'm a i'm a human being and the god of my understanding made me that way and you invert that word it says being human right yeah which means i'm gonna make some damn mistakes oh. i ain't always gonna be right oh you know, I'm going to do shit to piss people off in my home group and probably your home group. And, and, you know, if, but I've learned to recognize and, and pray about it and practice some principles and, and get in there. And, and if amends are necessary, I've learned how to do that in a kind and loving way too. Yeah. And, and that's all stuff that y'all taught me. I didn't know anything about that stuff when I got here. I just want y'all to take my dope problem. You know, I, I could run the rest of this shit on my own, right? Yeah. What was I wrong? Never will forget uh, my first sponsor. We He lived in uh, Nashville at the time, so I'd have to, I would drive up there when I'd get a step done or whatever. And we were going to, I was, we were actually involved in that area for a little bit. So I was going to an H and I subcommittee meeting in Nashville and we were going to meet up afterwards and go over some step work. And I think it was probably my third or fourth step that we were going to go over. And I never will forget riding in the car. He was from New York. So, um, <laughs> we were riding in the car and this car pulls, I mean, we're having this real spiritual conversation. I think it was three. We were talking about, you know, the beautiful thing about turning your will and your life over to God and all this, yada, yada. Then this guy pulls out in front of him and he says some shit that I can't even repeat on this podcast. <laughs> and I mean, floozes his shit. And just in an instant, he snaps right back into talking about the step three. And I was like, wait a minute, are we not going to have a conversation about what just happened? <laughs> yeah, but that's when it started to click for me. Hey, we are all in this together and we're all still <laughs> sick. You know, we exactly. need each other. You know, there are no leaders or, or, or presidents or, or spiritual giants or gurus or none of that. Like we're, we're all in this together, just trying to make it another day, despite right. all of our character flaws and defects. That's exactly <laughs> right. But we'll, uh, but we'll, we'll take, you know, you know, our, our literature says we're, we're under no surveillance at any time, but trust me, people are watching. Yeah. You know, and I, I'll have people sometimes ask me <laughs> that, you know, that have known me for a long time. Are you still, you still teaching them classes? <laughs> <laughs> no, I never taught any classes. And of course you try to explain it and people that don't know, don't know. And, uh, so yeah, it's kind of, kind of funny. Are you still running that group out there? Yeah. No, <laughs> I still go. I'm still a member. Thank God. Uh, yeah, it's kind of funny the outside perception, but that's my favorite thing to do when I pull up to a new meeting is go, is this where them drug classes are? Right. <laughs> I had uh I had the privilege of speaking in Owensboro, Kentucky the other night and that's oh, wow. When I first got up there that was uh that's the first thing I said was, Is this where them drug classes are? And the girl that asked me to speak got nervous. She said, You was joking, right? <laughs> Because the first thing she did before she said, I'd like you to speak, but I want to know that you're going to bring a clear NA message. And I said, well, I respect you saying that. That's I'm glad you asked me that. Uh, but yeah, you can rest assured that anything I got to share is, is clear. Uh, <laughs> but when I said that, when I said that about the drug classes, she started getting nervous. So she started texting me while I was, she said, you was just kidding about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. You know, I've got a, I got a neat little story. Um, if we have time yeah, about a clear message in our language, you know, oh, uh, I was on the phone trying to help get somebody in treatment. Now this has been probably, oh God, 10, 12 years ago. And I was calling around trying to reach out to some people that I knew in different areas and, and get somebody some help that didn't have insurance and didn't have, you know, didn't have resources. And 
Well, I called wanting to talk to this old guy that I knew worked in Jackson at, at a treatment facility there. And he wasn't there. And this other guy answered the phone. And so I'm talking to him and I'm telling him who I was calling for and uh, why I was calling. And, and through our conversation, he said, uh, he said, you do Narcotics Anonymous, don't you? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, he said, I could tell by, by the way you talk. He said, uh, never met this guy before. He was coming up on five years in the program. And, uh, and he asked me over the phone, would you come speak for my birthday? <laughs> because I was speaking our language right. and in his area at that time, there were so many, oh, God, I hate this term. And and, uh, I'm an alcoholic and an addict and, and they were doing that in his home group and, and all that stuff. And, and that's okay. You know, that's, that's okay. I'm not judging jury on that. In fact, you, 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 your boy Chase did the best workshop I'd ever heard. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. On the clarity statement. Matter of fact, I'm the programming chair. He's coming to do that workshop for us in, in Tupelo. Oh, so yeah, I, I've learned that, uh, uh, you know, you, you let people be where they're at and, and it all falls back on sponsorship. Usually if you ask somebody, do you have a sponsor and they're using that language? The answer will be no, not yet. <laughs> so anyway, you, you kill them with kindness. You love them into the rooms. And, and like I had shared in Chase's workshop, one thing I've learned over time is you cannot clean your fish before you got them caught. That's it. You know, it. I, I don't have the power to run anybody out of the rooms in Narcotics Anonymous, but I believe that my, my actions and my words can influence their decisions on whether they want to come back or not. Yeah. That's just my take on that. So, yeah, we have a responsibility to not promote, but to be as attractive as we can. And, uh, it can definitely be unattractive by, uh, you know, talking down to somebody about, sure. you know, and if they come long enough, you know, I tell the people in our group, cause you know, I was intolerant when I was new. And then you just kind of learn over time that you look around the room and there's nobody that's here. That's been here a year. That's got a sponsor that's working steps. That's using that kind of language. So if these people are going to stick and stay, they'll eventually find their way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought Chase just knocked it out of the park on that workshop. He did a fantastic job. No doubt. Job. Yeah. Best, I'd, best I'd ever heard. Yeah. Well, Sean, we're getting to the end of this show, man. I sure appreciate you coming on here and sharing your experience, strength, and hope and all that you do for your area of Narcotics Anonymous and all that you're going to continue to do, man. And I'm glad to be in this thing with you, brother. Same here, man. And thank you so much for, for inviting me on your podcast, man. It's been, you, you were my first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, anyway, I love you, brother. And, and thanks for inviting me. I hope, uh, I hope that, uh, that this is able to benefit somebody down the road. Well, I don't want to, well, it's, now that it's over and you won't get nervous everywhere where they speak the English language, you'll be heard. So 80, <laughs> 83 different countries. No pressure. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's wild. Yeah. Oh, anyway, as long as I don't have to look at them, I ain't gonna get nervous. <laughs> I, I get nervous when I have to speak in front of a crowd and, and I don't know. It's, people say, you mean sharing your story? You still get there? Yeah, I, I'm not crazy about doing that. Uh, I, I do it because I get asked to do it. You know, I do it because I was told to. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. not to blow your head up, but you do a really good job at that. It's one of your niches, man. Uh, well, I appreciate I've, it. I've I had do. the pleasure to hear you speak a couple of times, and yeah, uh, I. Some people just have that ability to be able to take you on a roller coaster ride of emotions. And, you know, uh, you leave there. If you don't remember what they said, you remember the way that it made you feel. So, um, yeah, that's part of that attraction to me, man. Well, I, I appreciate it. that means a lot, brother. It does. Yeah. 
All right, man. Well, I love you. And guess what? We'll be back next week with another IP. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose the desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931-306-9364.